This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Fellow doubters, as we continue our sermon series on doubt tonight, Jesus is going to destroy one more of those doubts. That doubt about, how do I reach God? How do I know that he's on my side? How do I reach God? And it's Jesus who's going to say, I got that covered. Because I'm the way for you to reach God. Let's pray. Precious Savior, send your spirit of truth into this auditorium and into our hearts. Destroy any doubts we have about our relationship with you. Teach us that you and you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Teach us that because of you, we can come to our Father as his dearly loved children. How do I reach God? A number of years ago, there was a young lady that I was ministering to, actually was in her last few days of life, uh, young, early 30s. For about 15 years, uh, she had been horribly abusing her body. She had been drinking really massive amounts of alcohol, taking all sorts of drugs, a promiscuous lifestyle, and now it's finally caught up to her. Now, she had been confirmed at the congregation that I was serving, uh, but she was old enough, or I guess I was young enough at the congregation that I wasn't the one that confirmed her. So after confirmation, she just drifted away from the Lord, was out doing her own thing, but now confronted with the fact that she is just a few days, and the last time I saw her, just an hour or two away from eternity, now she's asking this question. How do I reach God after all I've done, after the way I've turned my back on him? How do I reach God? What a privilege it was for me to be able to to show her that God was still her father and that she was forgiven. But, you know, this question about how do I reach God, that's, that's not just a deathbed question. That's one that you might well have asked yourself today. God, I've got, some, I've got some things going on in my life, and I don't know what to do about them. I need your help, but how do I reach you? How do I pull you into this? My marriage isn't going the way I want it to. Man, with the way inflation is going, the dollar doesn't stretch as far as it used to. I don't know how I'm going to make that house payment, that car payment. I'm lonely, Lord. I, I don't have people that I can lean on in my life. God, you got to be there for me, but how do I know that you're going to be there? How do I reach God? Even for us Christians, that is a question that can nag and gnaw at us. How do I reach God? I, I'm, I'm feeling separated from him. Got some good news for you. You and I can reach God. In fact, we can reach God because he's reached us. Because Jesus is the way to the Father, and he's got that all set for us. How do I reach God? We're going to talk about that tonight, but here's where we're going to start. We're going to start by talking about how it's not possible to reach God. Because there's a lot of people out there saying, this is the way you do it, but it's not going to work. How don't, can't we reach God? 
Well, as I did the research for this sermon, I, I was thinking about that question. How do you reach God? What, what do most people think about that? And so what's the best place to go to for the answer? Well, you go to the Internet, right? Yeah. Well, and in fact, I went to the super Internet. You know these new artificial intelligent bots that are out there? I went to one of them to get exactly the right answer. And so I asked uh, the uh, Bard AI, what do most people believe is the way to reach God? What do most people believe is the way to reach God? Now, understand, I'm not asking Bard to tell me what is the way to reach God. What's, what's just popular opinion about reaching God? And Bard told me five ways. People are going to tell you five ways to reach God. And here they are. Prayer. If you pray enough, you're going to reach God. If you read your religious text enough, so your Bible, your Quran, or the Vedas, if you read, read those, study those, learn those, memorize those, you're going to be okay with God. If you attend religious services, you're going to be okay with God. If you perform good deeds, God's going to like that. If you live a moral life, God's really going to like that. And so these are the ways you reach God. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if on some level, for every Christian, and I'm talking about myself too, on some level that we are buying into this and saying, man, things aren't going right in my life, and so in order to get God to pay attention to me, I'm just going to have to pray more. I'm going to have to worship more. I get into my Bible more. Uh-oh. Now, at this point in my sermon, I'm assuming that some of you are saying, well, come on, Pastor Aderman, isn't that what God's Word says? Doesn't he want us to be reading his Word and coming to worship and praying and living a good life? And of course he does. Uh, absolutely. Got good Bible on that. But why does he want us to do that? Why? Y you see... It isn't that we pray and read the Bible and come to worship and live good moral lives in order to get God to pay attention to us. We do that because he does pay attention to us, because he does love us. It's our way of thanking him. That why question is so important as we talk about these things. These are not the way for us to earn God's favor and to say, come on, God, I did all these good things for you, and now you owe me. So let's dig a little bit deeper. I, I think maybe three questions. They're intertwined questions. Three questions are going to help us sort that out. Here's the first one. How do we know what things are going to satisfy God? How do we know the things that are going to allow us to reach God? So how do we know that Prayer would help us to reach God. Or showing up for worship on Monday, Thursday, after all. How do we know that that's going to get God to like us? Well, God has to tell us what we need to do so he likes us. Huh? You and I can't decide that. We can't take a poll and say, well, these five things, these are the things that are going to make, make God happy. 
or we can't listen to some television prophet tell us this is what's going to make God's happy. So, you know, you send me $10,000, God's going to be happy. We have to ask God, God, what do you want from us? Hmm. So Sharon and I, my wife and I, have been married for, well, it'll be 51 years this summer. And I've got to tell you that, uh, first of all, I'm not much of a gift giver, but early in our marriage, uh, I gave Sharon some really horrible gifts. Now, I didn't mean to give her horrible gifts. I really didn't. But as it turned out, they were not very good gifts. You see, especially early on, and maybe Sharon's going to tell you even now, uh, when I think about giving gifts, giving gifts to Sharon, I think, okay, her birthday's coming up. What should I give her? Oh, I know. A good practical gift. I'll, I'll buy her a brand new coffee pot. That'll be nice. Well, you know, that, that really doesn't... Guys, young married guys, don't do that. Don't, no, you, you need to know what your wife thinks is important, right? And how do you know that? Well, you ask her. And ladies, those of you who, you know, sometimes ladies are saying, oh, no, I don't want to tell him because then it would spoil the surprise and, and he should know what I want. Ladies, we men aren't that smart. You got you to gotta give us some hints anyway. You got to tell us. Write it on the board or on the wall or something. But you got to tell us. Same thing with us and God. When it comes to us and God, it isn't that we can figure out what God wants from us. We can't. And so he's got to tell us. We've got to go to him and have him tell us. More on that in just a second. Let's talk to the, uh, about this next one. How do we know how much we have to do to reach God? So even if we knew what to do, the next question is, how much of that do we have to do? So if prayer was a way to get to God and get in his good favor, if it was, we'd have to ask, so how much do we have to pray? Wouldn't we? Uh, you know, is once a day okay? Uh, five times a day? Fifty times a day? And in how much time? Uh, two minutes at a time? Five minutes? Three hours? How much time? if we're going to get God's attention, if we're going to be able to reach out to God and say, here I am, help me out. How much do we have to do? I, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories about uh, me and my family tonight. When my girls, I've got three daughters, when they were in, in grade school, they would often have chores around the house, like cleaning up the kitchen. Um, Sharon and I, quickly discovered that when you're in third, fourth, fifth grade or so, uh, that the idea of a, what a clean kitchen looks like when you're that age is a whole lot different than when you're 30 or 40 years old, when you're the parents. You, you ever see that with your kids? And so our kids would be done cleaning the kitchen, and I would, well, actually, Sharon would go in and say, girls, this isn't clean. And they, what, what? Well, there's still, there's still grease on the stove. And what about over there in the corner? See that dust bunny? Oh, but oh, I didn't know. You see, that, that's the way we are with God. Even if we knew what he wanted from us, we'd still have to figure out how much of that do you want? And he'd have to tell us. So 
let's get down to that. What does God tell us? What is it that he expects from us that is going to get his attention, that he's going to love us for, that he's going to pay attention to us for? Which gets us to that third question, how can imperfect people please a perfect God? How is that possible? Uh, Almost 10 years ago, uh, I had a bout with prostate cancer and uh, went to get radiation therapy for that. So two months every weekday going to get zapped. And as I went to to get the uh, therapy, uh, you'd have to sit in a waiting room and wait for your turn, and there would be other people there. And so, you know, I try to start up a conversation, especially since I, I realize God, because I have this, this cancer, God is going to put me in contact with people I would never have in con- been in contact with before. So this is cool. So I would kind of chat people up, and I got to talking to one fellow, a very religious man. He's probably about 60 or so. But he would bring his wife for these radiation treatments. And one of those days, uh, as his wife was getting the radiation treatment, uh, I said, I'm really curious. You're, you're a deeply religious man. He wasn't a Christian. You're a deeply religious man. Um, how do you know God is on your side, if you don't mind my asking? How, how do you know that he's going to listen to your prayers, that he's, he's going to be there to care for you and your wife and your family? How do you know? And without missing a beat, he said, because I'm a good person. Uh, I pray five times a day. I I worship uh, every weekend. Uh, I'm a good person. I'm a good dad. I'm a good, caring husband. Of course God's got to take care of me. And I said, huh, if if you don't mind, uh, because this makes me really curious, how do you know you're doing enough to make God like you? And then he paused before he answered, and he said, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to wait to find out. And that's where you and I are when it comes to how do we make God happy? Huh. We don't know. Why? Because God demands more of us than we could ever give him. In every world religion, The idea of who God is is that he's perfect. He never makes mistakes. And and doesn't that make sense? Who would want to worship a being who messes up, who's who's got a messed up life like you and I do, somebody you could never depend on? So every world religion views God as this perfect being, never is going to mess up. And Christianity is no exception. You know that. In the Old Testament and again in the New Testament, God says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy means perfect. There's nothing, nothing wrong with him, ever. He says to us, that's the way I want you to be. In fact, not just want you to be. That's what I demand of you. Jesus says, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect, holy, pure, never mess up. That's what God demands of us in every way, every day. be holy. But you and I are far from that. St. Paul, when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 3, said, this is the kind of people all of us are. 
There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one that does good, not even one. None of us can stand before God and say, I've, I've done it, God. You want me to be holy? I'm, I'm holy. You want me to be perfect? I'm perfect. That's who I am. We can't do that. That's not who we are. And, and so you see, there's no way that we can possibly think we can stand before this God and do anything that is going to make him love us. Let's try this. If Sharon and I had a home, this is not our home, but if we had a home that we decorated in dazzling white, no other color but white, dazzling, sparkling white, floors white, ceilings white, hall, uh, the uh, walls are white, furniture's white, countered, everything is white. In fact, it's so white, when you come into our house, you have to wear sunglasses in order to exist there. Okay, we've got this white house. I don't know any, why anybody would want a white house like that, but my illustration, white house. Now, my four-year-old grandson comes by to visit. Four-year-old grandson. But you see, before he gets to my house, he has found a mud puddle, more mud than puddle. And it's the greasiest, grimiest, stinkiest mud you can imagine. Now he's covered head to toe in this. He's, he's bathed in this mud. It's an inch thick. It's caked on him. Am I gonna let him in, going to let him into the house? Okay. Now, some of you grandmas are saying, oh, but he's my grandson. Of course I'm going to let him in. My illustration, he's not coming into my house. At least not until I hose him down and scrub him up and put some new clothes on him. Now, isn't it going to work the same way with us and a perfect God? He's not going to want us mucking up his perfect presence, his heaven, caked with, with sin. It, it, no, that isn't going to work. There's no way that you and I can possibly make God happy. So you see this question, this question for that we started with, how can I reach God? That's the wrong question for any of us to be asking. In those deep and dark situations in our lives, the challenges that we face, to ask the question, what, what do I have to do now to reach you, God, so that you're going to help me out? That's the wrong question. Because there's nothing that we can do. Just asking that question implies that there is something, but there's not. Here's the question we need to ask. What has God done to reach us? And that brings us to this very special night at the end of another Holy Week. Within just a couple of hours of Good Friday and the terror and the torture and the torment of Jesus' cross and the triumph of Jesus' empty tomb on Easter and the mercy of another Monday Thursday. Monday, Thursday. As Pastor Bill pointed out, 
the highlight of Monday Thursday is Jesus has gathered his disciples together for this very special Passover meal. But it isn't just Passover that they're celebrating. Jesus is using this evening to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen to him. He's been telling them again and again and again. They just haven't gotten it. You're going to see that in just a moment. They haven't gotten it. But he's still preparing them for what's about to happen as he's taken away from them and crucified and then later on Good Friday laid in a tomb. At some point during that meal, Jesus says to his disciples, in these next, next hours, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, of course, Jesus is talking about how he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. He's going to open heaven's doors to them as he suffers and dies and, uh, for their sins. I am going to prepare a place for you. And then he assures them, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. Doesn't that make sense? You know, if Jesus is going to go through all of the, the trouble of preparing a place in heaven for sinful disciples, sinful believers, if he's going to make that place for us in heaven, isn't he going to come back and take us so that we can be there? So that's Jesus' argument. And then he says, guys, you know the way to the place where I'm going. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know the place, the way to the place where I'm going. Well, the disciples did not know the way to the place that Jesus is talking about. And so I guess that if, if we were there that night watching Jesus' disciples around that table, and Jesus says, well, you know the way to the place where I'm going, you'd see Jesus' disciples going, what? And maybe they'd lean over to one another and say, what's he talking about? you know what he's talking about? And finally, it's Thomas who speaks for the group. Now, this is going to be the same Thomas that Pastor Bill is going to talk about on Easter Sunday. Don't miss that message. That's doubting Thomas. Well, he has a role on, good, on Monday, Thursday as well. He's the one that speaks for the group, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Please explain this to us. And that's when Jesus says, gentlemen, I am the way and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. The place I'm going to is heaven, but you can't get there without me. I am the way. Notice that Jesus does not say, I, I'm the, the path that you follow. He says, I am the way. Jesus is not saying to his disciples or to us, uh, just walk in my footsteps, do what I do, and you're going to be good with God. No, he's telling us something completely different. I'm the way. You want to be right with God? You want to come to the Father? Then it has to be not just following me. It's making me your path. It's through me and because of me and in me and on me that you get to be right with God. There's no other way that that's going to happen. And of course, in the next hours, that's exactly what Jesus does for us all. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a human being, but, oh, so much more than that. You know that. The, the eternal God, 
the God who there on the first day of creation began to breathe, speak the whole of the universe into existence, including human beings. The God who shortly after that, when Adam and Eve sinned, said, I can fix this. I'm going to become a human being. I'm going to take their place. And that's what the Son of God and Jesus did as he came to us in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth. He lived a perfect life, that life that God demands of us that we don't give him, nowhere close. He lived that life for us so he could give it to us. He could dress us up in his holiness. God says, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. In Jesus, you and I are holy. He dresses us in his perfection. So God, his father, looks at us and he says, wow, Jesus, I love that. That's the way he sees us. And then with this Jesus, the eternal God, Jesus, the human being, goes to the cross. He's there for us too. He's calling down from his Father all of the anger, all of the punishment that we and everybody else who will ever inhabit this planet has earned. He says, Father, bring it on me. Punish me. Don't punish them. I'll take their place. And that's why the Apostle John can say, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. You hear that? Purified, like my grandson, hosed down, cleaned up, no new clothes on. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Even that sin that annoys you, that embarrasses you, it's all gone because of Jesus dying for us on the cross. That's why on Sunday, Pastor Ben could remind us of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that says, since we have been justified through faith, we have, remember the word? Peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not on the warpath anymore. Peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. How do we know? How can we be sure? Let, let's try this. Over the years, uh, my daughters have regularly given Sharon and me a gift card to a fancy, expensive restaurant for our anniversaries. Uh, much more fancy and much more expensive than Sharon and I go to. So when we go to these restaurants, uh, Sharon will say to me as we're leaving the house, Jim, do you have the gift card? That's there in my pocket. We're good. As we drive up to the restaurant, I park the car, and I think, okay, will I be able to pay for this? Yeah, there it is. The gift card's there. We sit down in the restaurant. I uh, look at the menu, and I gulp a little bit because of the prices. But, yeah, it's still there. I'm good. And then at the end of the meal, when the, the bill comes, and I look at it, and I think, wow, that's a lot of money. But I've got the card. I'm good. You see, Jesus for us is that card. Jesus is paid for all of our sins. Whatever the debt is that we owe God, it's done. Jesus is taking care of that. Jesus, who is the way and the truth 
and the life and through whom you and I come to the Father. And because he's done it all and there's nothing left for us to do, there's no longer any room for doubt or fear. It doesn't make any difference what we're feeling. You know, oh, I don't know how to pay the bills. That's okay. God is still on our side. He has to be because of Jesus, Jesus who is the way. It's no longer a question of asking, what do I have to do to reach God? That's impossible. But what has God done to reach me? He sent his son to be my savior. We can be sure that our almighty and all-loving father holds us in his hand, in his loving, wondrous hand, because of the nail holes in Jesus' hands. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Through you and you alone, our, your Father has guaranteed that he has reached down to us, that he holds us in his hands, no matter the challenges we face. You've guaranteed that there is no longer any room for doubting in, in your commitment to us. So, dear Lord, lead us to live in the confidence of your grace, because through you we have come to the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.